Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today and worshiping with us. And uh, I want to say hello also to all of you who are watching online right now. We know a lot of people are doing that at the moment. And so thank you for being here wherever you are. Join us. Um, and I heard from some of you online this morning after the, second, or after the first service. So thank you for that. It is really great to get to be with you here today. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at First Free Church. If you're new, welcome. You're joining us at a great time. We are in a new series we launched last week called Justice. And we'll get into that more in a minute. Before I go there, I just want to share a couple of things with you. First of all, if you are new, we would love for you to get to know us and us to get to know you. And you can start that by filling out our online connect card at efree.org slash connect. You can also let us know if you need prayer there, if you want to get involved in a ministry, if you want to serve anywhere here in the church, all of that is at efree.org slash connect. So please fill that out. And uh, if you do fill out a connect card today and see us at the Welcome Center, we've got a special gift for you as well. A couple of other things to note today at 630, there's going to be an outdoor baptism service. We've got a bunch of people being baptized today. So that is always an exciting time. We'll have some tailgating at five o'clock at the North Patio. So if you want to bring your food, go out there and eat some food ahead of time, you can do that. Or just join us at 630. We'll have worship and we'll have a baptism celebration. And it is a celebration. So you will want to make sure you're here for that at 630 tonight. Next week, we are planning to open both periods of Kid Connection. And for that to happen, we could really use some more volunteers. We've got a lot of people that have joined our team in the last few months, and we're very thankful for that. Certainly, the pandemic has made this very challenging, but we could use some more. Especially, we could use, in our nursery, two volunteers who would serve on a weekly basis at 11 a.m. So you go to the 9 a.m. service, and then you serve at 11. Or we could use four volunteers who would serve every other week. The math checks out, trust me. You can do either of those two options. And that will take care of nursery for us, at least for a little while. You know, we have a problem right now. We have too many families with kids coming to church. And I know we should just just tell them to take a hike. But we would really like to be able to accept them all and welcome them and care for their kiddos so that the adults can pay attention to the service, the kids can be discipled in Kid Connection. That only happens if we have enough people who can help out and make that all happen. So if you want to get involved there, efree.org slash kids is the place to go. All right, so we're in week two of a series called Justice and the Bible. And today we're going to be talking all about biblical justice. Last week, we had a guest speaker, Dr. Thaddeus Williams, who came and kicked off the series for us. And he was fantastic. He's the author of a book called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. And it's an excellent book. It's available wherever books are sold. I highly encourage you to get that and read that if you want to go deeper into what he talked about last week. He introduced us to a framework and some language that are going to help guide us through the rest of this series. So I'm going to talk today about biblical justice, but next week and the week after that, we have a couple of other guests who are going to join us, authors of a different book called Let's Start Again, Alex and Angela Bryant. Alex was a pastor in St. Louis before moving away to do ministry in a different part of Missouri, and Angela has been involved in some of our ministries here in the past at First Free. So they're going to be back with us. They've already shared with our elders and pastors and staff, and now they're going to be with us for a couple of weeks to talk about justice, and in particular, racial justice and racial issues and reconciliation, and and they're going to be absolutely fantastic. After that, we're going to have a week dedicated to uh, talking about some uh, issues of justice in the world, and then we're going to wrap up with a week talking about how can we practically get involved. So just to give you a snapshot of kind of where we're going, and today is all about biblical justice. What does the Bible say 
about justice. And we want to ask this question because we believe at this church as followers of God that the Bible is the inerrant inspired word of God. It is the ultimate source of truth for us. It is our authority in everything in life. In fact, where the world and the culture differ from what God's word says, we are going to pick the Bible every single time. We're going to follow what God's word says. Sometimes that can be difficult to distinguish and figure out what overlaps, what is different, and we're going to try to work through some of those things in this series. We won't be able to cover everything, by the way, and so some of you may leave this thinking, oh, I wanted you to go more into this or more into that, and trust me, I have pages and pages and pages of notes of things that I want to talk about, and I won't get to because there's just not enough time. Some of you will want to go super deep into this stuff, and if you have more questions or want to go deeper, want to be pointed to resources, please feel free to let us know. One way you can do that is just by emailing pastor at efree.org and uh, we'll try to point you in the right direction, get your resources so you can go deeper into anything that maybe we don't cover in as much depth as you would like to. And some of these things are, are really challenging, really difficult to wrestle through and the answers are not obvious and it's incredibly frustrating preparing for a series on this because every time you think you've exhausted this trail of research, you find out that there's 10 more trails that branch off of that. And now you have to go figure out, was this true? And was this actually said? And what about this in history? And what about that? It's exhausting. There's so much to this, so many different opinions, so many different perspectives that we're going to need a lot of grace to go through this together. And you may hear things up here that you disagree with, There may be things that we don't say that you're like, oh, they should have talked about that. I get it. We're all coming from different places on this. We're going to try to focus on what God's word says and bring that wisdom to our lives. And then we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to continue to guide us in how we carry these things out. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to do one thing with me. If you would just bow your heads with me, we're going to start this off right with some prayer. And then we'll dive into our message for this morning. God, as we continue in this series on justice... You being the God of justice, we pray that you would guide us, that you would teach us, that you would help us to be just people, that you would help us to do justice, that you would teach us from your word what you want us to know this morning, help us to live it out in the world. Help us to learn about you today, to get closer to you, to grow in our walk with you so that we can reflect you and your attributes and your character into this broken world. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, recently I had the privilege of officiating a wedding here at First Free, and at the rehearsal dinner the night before, I was given some chocolates to take home to my kids. So I took them home, and I put them on my desk in my home office, and my daughter, Adeline, walked in later on, and uh, she said, what are those? They're chocolates. Can I have one? "Uh, Sure. Can I have two? Okay, that's how those things go. Fine. So she ate the chocolates, loved them. By the way, my kids love chocolate. And then she threw away the wrappers. There was no evidence left. Then a little while later, my son Jackson walks in, sees the chocolate sitting on the desk, and here is what he said exactly. Can I have a chocolate? Wait, how many did she have? (laughs) That is how kids work. At least that's how they work around my household. I don't know about your household. A couple days ago, um, as I was getting uh, some dessert ready after dinner, I was scooping some ice cream, and I handed the ice cream bowls to my kiddos, and my daughter got her ice cream bowl and immediately walked to the other side of the table to look into Jackson's bowl to go, are these the same amount? Okay. That's how kids work. A couple days later, Jenny was making a meal for somebody here at the church, and she had multiple pans of brownies out, and some of those are for us, and uh, I think it was Adeline that walked in uh, first. No, it was Jackson that walked in, in first, but I don't, I don't know if he ever had any at all. But Adeline saw it, and she walked over to the brownie tray as I was over there, and she said, can I have a brownie? And I was cutting her off a little piece. 
And before I could finish cutting the piece, she said, wait a minute, Dad, how big was Jackson's piece? Because that's what our kids do. They care about fairness. They want to make sure everything is equitable between them. If I do the same amount of chores, I could get, should get the same amount of rewards, whether that's media or money or whatever that is. If I finish all of my dinner, I should get the same amount of dessert as the other kid that finished all of their dinner. We don't have to teach this to our kids because intrinsically we have this desire for fairness, for justice between us, for the equitable distribution of benefits. Why is that? Why do we want everything to be fair? Well, I would suggest to you that it's because we are made in the image of God and we serve a just God. We have a just and fair God. Psalm eleven seven says, For the righteous Lord loves justice. The virtuous will see his face. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong how just and upright he is. That's the character, the attributes of God. And if you're taking notes today, you can write this down. God is just. He loves justice and he does justice. That's the God that we serve. He's a just and fair God. And, and this may not seem amazing to you, but compared to the other gods people were writing about back in Bible times, this was incredibly unique. See, for other people's gods, they were, they were vengeful, they were bitter, they were mean to each other, they were mean to humans. Just take the Greek gods, for example, and Greek mythology. Both Uranus and Kronos devoured their own children to make sure they would never overpower them. That's not a very just thing to do. The sea god, Poseidon, did horrible things to a human woman named Medusa. This is all Greek mythology. I know I'm presenting this if it's fact, but did horrible things to a human woman named Medusa in the temple of Athena. And when the goddess Athena found out, instead of doing something to Poseidon, she punished Medusa, the human victim of Poseidon. And she gave her the snakes on her hair and looks that could kill. That's what the gods would do to each other. Hades kidnapped the goddess Persephone. And he tricked her into eating some fruit in Hades, and so um, in the underworld, rather. And so she was forced to stay there six months out of the year. Who made that rule? I don't know, but that's how it works. And her mother, Demeter, was responsible for the production of crops, the harvest. And so six months of the year, Persephone is forced to be with Hades in the underworld because she was tricked into eating this fruit by her kidnapper. And when she is finally freed for six months a year, she is able to go spend time with her mother, Demeter, and the crops grow. And that's how they explain the seasons. Obviously, this is ridiculous. You have these gods that are warring against each other and they're vengeful and they're nasty and, and they are constantly trying to manipulate each other and manipulate people and hurting people. And the God of the Bible is radically different from that. The Bible says he's completely fair and just. And yet, we live in a world that is full of injustice, violence, destruction, slavery, human trafficking, abortion, stealing, cheating, all sorts of injustice that exists all around us. Let's talk a little bit about injustice. What makes something unjust? Justice, the dictionary says, is the maintenance or administration of what is just. It's not particularly helpful. So we have to look at the definition for just. What is just? Well, it's, the, it's acting or being in conformity with what is morally upright or good. Now, that's an interesting definition, isn't it? What is morally upright or good? For there to be a universal understanding of justice, and for us to all agree, 
There has to be a universal standard of morality and what is upright, doesn't there? This dictionary definition of what is just does not work unless there is some universal standard of morality and justice. I mean, if I think that it is moral and upright to steal your car, then to me, that is justice. You might think it's wrong, but who are you to say? To me, I was doing what was just. See, there has to be a universal standard that we can all appeal to, or else everyone just does what's right in their own eyes, which the Bible talks about. There has to be some sort of standard. Justice relies on a universal sense of morality, or it doesn't work. It can't be consistent. So when we say that God is just, we don't just mean that he does just things or that he's fair. We also mean that he is the very standard by which justice is measured, or he is the source of justice itself. He's the template by which we get our, all of our standards of justice, what is moral and what is upright. It ultimately comes from him. And there is this intrinsic knowledge that we have of, hey, that's not right, that's not fair. Well, why isn't it fair? Why isn't it okay that I do that? If we're just sort of blobs that came out of nowhere and there's no sort of standard, then it should just be survival of the fittest. But we care deeply about injustice, even if we don't know God, because we're created in the image of a God who is just. The dictionary defines just another way. It says, being what is merited. Being what is merited. And so justice is also giving people their due, what they deserve. If you sign a contract, do a certain amount of work and get a certain amount of money, and then you don't get paid that amount of money, that's injustice. And when people are mistreated or abused or uh, treated poorly, unfairly cheated, that's injustice. But why is that injustice? If it's stronger, if it's a survival of the fittest, who cares? And for almost all of human history, that has been the case. And so we see prejudice and we see human trafficking and theft and murder and abuse and all sorts of evils throughout human history that we would say are unjust, but why are they unjust? Dr. Williams talked about this last week. If you haven't seen his message, you really need to go back and watch it. It's on our website. You can see it there at efree.org slash messages. He said, the reason it is unjust to treat people this way is because we are not some cosmic accident but we are created in the image of God with intrinsic value that's given to us by the creator. Not spontaneously out of nothing, but by a creator who is the source of justice, the source of morality, the source of uprightness. And he has said, I'm putting my very image into these people. And so they have value. They have worth. This is why it's not injustice for you to take the life of a tree and use it to build your home. Tree is a living thing. But it's not unjust for you to take it and use it for your home. Why? Because it's a purpose for which it was designed. It's not something that has the kind of value that we would say human life has. It's different. Why is it different? Well, it's only different because there's a creator that designed it to be different. The carrot cannot say to the rabbit, this is injustice. You should not be eating me. Why? It's a carrot. It's there to be food for the rabbit. But why? Why would there be that difference? Because there's a creator that designed certain things like human beings to have this special value. And that's why it is unjust to treat them poorly because you're not giving them their due, their respect as image bearers of God. If you don't start there, you don't really have a foundation for justice at all. How can you have any kind of consistent sense of justice without some sort of consistent source of what is moral and what is upright and the value of human beings to be able to say, we shouldn't treat people this way. We should treat them fairly if you don't start with God. It's the foundation of justice itself. Not everyone understands that, but it is. It does create a different problem for us though. And that problem is that if God is just and he loves justice and he does justice, then why is there so much injustice in this world around us? 
I mean, why doesn't God just poof, make everything fair? Why do people still treat people unfairly? Why does he not step in and change that? Why is there discrimination in this world? Why for thousands of years have humans been enslaving each other, literally treating each other like property and building discrimination into laws and policies to keep other people down? People have been been doing things like Jim Crow laws in this country or having housing options be restricted through redlining or, or jobs that were taken away or finances that were limited like the GI Bill for certain people, barriers that were put in place left and right to keep people with certain, in certain groups and with certain skin colors in some cases from being able to succeed in life or keeping them down, treating them unfairly. Why does that happen in this world? In many cases, based on the melanin in somebody's skin, it doesn't make any sense. This kind of activity has been the hallmark of governments throughout human history. And it continues to this day. Did you know that today there are over 40 million slaves estimated in the world today? 40 million, more than any time in human history, enslaved today. We don't really think about that in this country. But there's 18 million slaves in India right now. Almost 4 million in China, over 3 million in Pakistan. Slavery is a very real problem today. People being treated like property. Oppression really happening. How come over the last 50 years, over 50 million babies have lost their life in this country? through abortion. And we need to be clear that for people that have, have done that, there is healing and there's forgiveness and there's redemption and, and, and all of that through Christ. But at the same time, we have a system that is allowing for the oppression and the, the genocide of millions of people. That's injustice. These are image bearers of God. They don't deserve to have their life taken like that, to be murdered. That's injustice. If God is really the just standard, then why is the world that he created so unjust. Let's get into the meat of the message today and turn to Habakkuk chapter one. You weren't expecting that, were you? Some of you are wondering if it's a trick. Is that really in the Bible? Everybody remember those sword drills growing up where they'd tell you to turn to Hezekiah 2.4 and you search and search and search and search until you find it. There's no Hezekiah in the Bible. I mean, there's a man, but not a book. Habakkuk chapter one. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, believe it or not. Listen carefully to what it says about God and about justice. Habakkuk 1, we'll start in verse 2. He cries out to God and he says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. And he's talking about Judah, by the way. He's talking about the kingdom of Judah. The law has become paralyzed, he says. And there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. So what is this injustice that Habakkuk sees here? Violence and destruction. People arguing and fighting. The law, he says, is paralyzed. In other words, even if there are good laws, they aren't being upheld. And the courts are not holding to the laws, even if they are good. There's no justice. The, the right and fair things are not being done by these judges. And why does he say this happened? Because the wicked far outnumber the righteous. What happens in a country, in a society, when the wicked majority get to decide that getting what they want is more important than doing what is right? They just tell everyone what they want is what is right. Is it that justice had completely disappeared? No. He says justice has become what? What has justice become in Habakkuk 
perverted. It's not just that it's gone. It's not that no one talks about justice anymore. It's that justice has become perverted. It's been twisted to serve the desires of the majority who have decided that what they want is more important than what is right. It's not just the absence of justice. It's perverted justice. It's calling something that isn't just, just. They still have courts, but the judges are giving fair rulings. They're not giving just rulings. They're not upholding what is morally right and fair. They have laws, but they aren't being applied correctly or equally. People shouldn't be able to hurt other people or their property and get away with it. But the law, Habakkuk says, is paralyzed. And this is the situation that Habakkuk finds himself in, and it grieves him deeply. And I wonder if you can relate. If you look at the world around you, and you look at social media, and you look at the news, and and you grieve for the state of our community, and our country, and our world today. Now, let's be clear. There's a lot of wonderful things happening in the world. And because those don't tend to sell, that's not what gets shoved in front of your eyeballs. So you are getting a filtered list of all the worst things because that's what shocks people and gets them to keep coming back for more. So it's not all terrible, but as we look around at the world and we see injustice and we see things that are unfair and we see things that are bad being called good, we see violence and we we see arguing and fighting. You might be like Habakkuk tempted to say, how long, O Lord? Why are you waiting on this? I've talked to some of you who have had that exact expression. You can relate to Habakkuk here. Why, God, do you not just make everything just? And this is what Habakkuk is wondering here. Why, God? And so God responds and he says, look around at the nations in verse 5. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. What he's saying is, Habakkuk, if you saw this on the news, you'd say it was fake. You only believe this because I'm about to tell you. And he goes on to tell him, I won't read you every, every bit of it here. But God goes on to tell Habakkuk that he is going to raise up the Babylonians. The Babylonians at this time, the city of Babylon, it was a city-state that was warring with Assyria and other, other, other places. It was not a world power. And this is why Habakkuk wouldn't believe it if he heard about it from someone else. But God is saying, I'm raising up the Babylonians. I'm allowing them to thrive. They're going to become an empire. And I'm going to use them to sweep over the rest of these nations. And they are going to be my judgment on other unjust people. They're going to be my judgment on Judah. The people that you are crying about, Habakkuk, and saying there are evil and wicked people there. Yes, judgment is coming. And it's coming in the form of these Babylonians. And Habakkuk is absolutely stunned. He's like, God, how can you use these unjust people to judge these other unjust people? Why would you use the, the wicked people in this way? And he says, will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? And God's answer is no. Babylon will also be judged for their wrongdoing, for their injustice. But here's what God says to Habakkuk. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. He says, this vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. That doesn't mean that it's going to happen right away. That just means that it's going to happen. It will surely happen, and it won't be put off. It won't be postponed. And then God says, look at the proud They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. What is he telling Habakkuk here? He's saying, wait patiently because justice is coming. Keep being righteous. Keep living by faith. 
justice is coming. There will be a day when God sets everything right. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, injustice entered the human race. And they basically didn't give God his due. The serpent came along and said, you can be like God if you will eat this fruit. And they said, we would like to be like God. And instead of honoring and respecting God, they took the glory that was reserved for God and they thought they could get it for themselves. And so they ate of the fruit and they didn't give God his due. That was injustice. Injustice entered the human race and it passed down to all of us. Since that time, humans have continued to do injustice to God and injustice to other people. And that will continue on and on until God finally brings justice into this world. But what you should know about the ultimate justice that God is going to bring is that it's not like everything is just going to be wonderful and utopia for everybody at that point. Because justice also means that unjust people must be punished. There must be judgment. There must be payment if someone steals your car and destroys it. Justice is not when they come back to you and say, I'm sorry, and you say, I forgive you, and then you go your merry way. Justice is when they pay you back for the car. Justice requires payment for wrong that's been done. And one day God will bring complete and total justice to this world. Peter wrote about this. And this is amazing because there there are questions like this as far as, you know, God, why are you delaying your justice? Why, Lord, are you not just making everything fair and just right now? And for a lot of those hard questions of life, we don't have amazing answers spelled out for us in Scripture. And so we walk by faith and we live by faith and we understand that now we see as in a mirror dimly, but then we will know even as we're fully known. And so one day we're going to experience this amazing curtain opening and we're going to see all this stuff we didn't understand before. There's going to be this aha moment about a million different things. And we're like, that's what God was doing. Thank you. I never understood that. But this is one where God answers it for us. Why, God, are you not bringing your justice right now? Second Peter chapter three says, and by the same word, The present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment. When ungodly people will be destroyed, they'll get the justice they deserve. God, total justice coming to this earth. But he says, you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. God operates on a different sense of time than we do. And so we may think something is a long ways off from our perspective, but to God, it's very soon. And then he says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think, his promise to bring justice and judgment. No, he is being patient for your sake, for the sake of people. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. If you're someone who longs for the day when God brings his justice, when everything is right, when no one hurts another person, when the wicked get what they deserve, I've got good news for you. That day is coming. It will happen. It won't be good for the unjust who have not repented, for the people that have not trusted in Jesus. See, Jesus does this amazing thing where all of us deserve justly to be punished, and yet he took the punishment for us, so his justice gets applied to us, and now we get to be declared just, justified is the theological term for that, even though we're not. His justness gets applied to us. He takes our payment. We get righteousness. Now we get viewed as if we're just, even though we aren't. But for all those who don't trust in Jesus, who don't repent of their sins, who don't believe in him, they are going to face judgment in this world. But the reason God is waiting to bring that judgment, to bring justice everywhere in the world, is to give more people time 
to repent and join his kingdom. Puts a whole different perspective on it, doesn't it? That's why the world is not currently just. Injustice entered the world through Adam and Eve. People continue that injustice all the way down, injustice against God, injustice against other people. And God is saying, oh, I'm going to make everything right. But just wait. Justice is coming. Be patient. I'm waiting for a reason. Jesus said in John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. And that's because of injustice. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. We can both grieve the current state of things in our world and be deeply sorrowful for the things we see around us and the injustices that we see in this world. And at the same time as believers, maintain a joy and a hope that Jesus has overcome the world already. Take heart, Jesus said. You know, Paul uh, mentioned in one of his epistles, he said about him and some of his fellow leaders, we are sorrowful, but always rejoicing. That paradox has kind of become a, a bit of a life verse for me as a pastor. You know, in the church world, there's always something to be sorrowful about. There are always people that are upset about something. There's always people who are losing a loved one. There's always people whose kids are doing things they don't want them to do. There's, there's all sorts of issues and challenges always in a church. And if you don't see most of it, then praise God. But there always are. And, you know, the pastors typically know about that. And so there are always reasons to be sorrowful. And yet, Jesus is doing some amazing stuff. And people are growing in their faith. And discipleship is happening. And more people are being introduced to Jesus. And people are being baptized today. And God is doing some awesome things in this church and in our community. And we know that ultimately one day, Jesus, who has overcome the world, is going to set everything right. And there's going to be justice. And for those that have believed in him, it's going to be awesome. And so we can take heart and we can rejoice, even though we can legitimately grieve and be sorrowful for what we see happening in the world today. If you're writing down these points, number two is wait patiently because God's justice is being delayed for a reason. Wait patiently. Does that mean that we don't have to do anything? Hey, God's gonna make everything just one day. Problem solved. Just live your life, enjoy, and you don't have to be involved in any of it. Micah 6, 8 says, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right or to do justice, you could translate that, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is what God wants you to do, to do justice. He requires it of you, to do what is right. Second Chronicles 19 says, fear the Lord and judge with integrity. For the Lord our God does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. This is what God expects of his people. In the New Testament, Paul tells Titus, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed because of this. This teaches us to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, with righteousness, that could also be translated justice, and devotion to God. As Thaddeus told us last week, this is not optional. This is not a suggestion. This is a requirement. We are to act justly and do justice. So what does this mean for us as Christians? We're going to unpack this in much greater detail over the next few weeks, but I'm just going to give you a snapshot of it right now. Since we're talking about biblical justice, what do we see in the Bible that helps us to understand how Christians can do justice and what we should be involved in? And then we'll get really practical in the coming weeks. 
Thaddeus gave us two categories, social justice A and social justice B. Social justice A is biblical justice that includes social issues. Social justice B is contrary to biblical principles. It's pop culture justice. It's counterfeit justice. And the reason I would call it counterfeit justice is because if we're saying that God is our standard for justice and the Bible is God's word, any social justice efforts that violate biblical principles are really counterfeit justice. They go against the standard of justice that comes from God. And it's really easy for us to want to just spend all our time slamming social justice B. It's wrong because of this, and it's causing problems over here, and here are all the things wrong with social justice B. And you know what? There will be some time for that. And for those of you that really want to dig into that, mark your calendars. August 22, that's the day. We're going to talk about social justice B. But the main goal of this series is not to just rail on what we're against. We should also be talking about what we're for. What, what kind of justice do we want to see? What kind of justice does God expect from us? What does that look like? And today, we're just going to spend the last couple of minutes here talking about what the Bible specifically says, and then we'll dive into more practical things over the next few weeks. How do we do justice according to the Bible? Three things. Number one, be fair and honest in everything you do. Be fair and honest in everything you do. Second Chronicles 19, again, says, Fear the Lord and judge with integrity, for the Lord our God does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. Perverted justice is when we not only do the wrong thing, but we try to convince people it's the right thing. Perverted justice is when we flip and twist justice on its head and say, this wrong thing I was doing, I actually think it was right. And we have all sorts of ways for justifying it. We say things like everybody does it, It's just a fib. I'm not gossiping. I'm concerned. I deserve this. The ends justify the means. We have lots of ways of justifying our perversion of justice, but this is not something God tolerates. He does not want us to call what is bad good and what is good bad. Partiality is discrimination. Whether you're a teacher or a boss or a politician or a parent or anyone that has decision-making power over other people, be fair and just and honest in your decisions. Whether it's hiring people based on their merits or grading people based on their work or, or anything like that, don't give in to the temptation or the peer pressure to be partial in your work because God detests it and he is our standard for justice. The world's version of this, by the way, is perverted justice. Social justice B says that some people should be given partiality based on their group identity, but that's not biblical justice. Here's what God commanded the Israelites. He said in Exodus 23, do not slant your testimony in favor of a person just because that person is poor. Just because they belong to this class of people, this group of people that is poor, just because they have less of an opportunity or whatever it is, that doesn't mean you should automatically favor them. You still have to judge on an even playing field. You have to be just. He says something similar in Leviticus 19. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. This is biblical justice. Number two, fight for the rights of the poor and oppressed. Isaiah 1 says, learn to do good. Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphans, fight for the rights of widows. Leviticus, or excuse me, Psalm 82 says, give justice to the poor and the orphan." Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and help us deliver them from the grasp of evil people. You know, in Bible times, no one cared about orphans. 
They were, as Thaddeus told us last week, they were brought out into human dumping grounds and just left there. And the Christians, what did they do? They came along and they took them into their homes and they showed that these, these little image bearers had value. And they fought for their rights by bringing them into their homes. And that practice, by the way, has not ended. It's just shifted in its terminology today. Christians today fight the injustice that happens with, with little kids who are unwanted by taking them to their homes as foster children, by adopting them. It happens all over the place, and those people don't typically get brought up and win medals, and there's not a lot of news stories written about them. They are quietly fighting for the rights of the oppressed and the, and the unwanted children. There are many Christian ministries today that are helping victims of human trafficking. Many of you are involved in adoption ministry, foster care ministry, human trafficking ministry, helping people who can't speak up for themselves, helping people who are oppressed in some way. This is justice work. It doesn't get a lot of airtime, really. In fact, it's kind of shocking to me that some of the loudest voices for social justice seem to be completely unaware of the massive problem of slavery and human trafficking in the world. And a lot of injustices that are committed all over the place that are are conveniently forgotten about. But Christians are engaged in these things, and you can get engaged in these things. Proverbs 29.7 says, The godly care about the rights of the poor. The wicked don't care at all. The wicked are very good at acting like they care, but they act like they care so much so, in so much as they can build a following and gain money and gain power and gain influence. And so they act like they care, but they're not really helping in most cases. They're oftentimes hurting more than they're helping, but they're good at looking like they're helping. And we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. Another way to fight for the rights of the poor and the oppressed is to identify ways in which laws and courts are showing favoritism and shouldn't. Wherever there is perverted justice. Proverbs twenty twenty three says, The Lord detests double standards. He is not pleased by dishonest scales. Listen, when we identify laws, policies, systems that has a double standard that discriminates against people, where there are dishonest scales when it comes to different groups of people, where there is partiality instead of fairness, Christians should work to end this. This is something that the Bible calls us to step into, to correct oppression, to help people who are oppressed or who are poor. The Jim Crow laws are a great example of that in this country, designed to restrict African-Americans in the past who sometimes uh, were restricted in obvious ways and sometimes indirect ways. Sometimes it was written in such a way that it didn't purely look like it was racially motivated, but it's very obvious how it worked out that it really was. Redlining in neighborhoods is another example of that. But to give you a more recent one, are you aware that until June of 2021, the NFL actively discriminated against black athletes because they said they had a lower IQ. Did you know that? In June of this year, the NFL ended the process of race norming, which is where when a black athlete suffered a traumatic brain injury of some kind, they would give him less money because they assumed he started out with a lower cognitive function. And so the white athletes that had the same injury got more money than the black athletes did because they assumed the white athletes started with a better cognitive function. That sounds like racial discrimination to me. Ended two months ago. Yay, but where there are things like that that we find in in our culture and our society, and we uncover those types of things that sure looks like clear examples of discrimination and partiality, then yeah, if we can speak into it and step up and say that's a problem, then we should do that. That's speaking up for the oppressed. It's correcting oppression that's helping those who need it. Maybe this means being an informed citizen. 
being aware of local politics, especially where you can make the biggest difference. Number three, biblical justice, help those in need. Help those in need. Hebrews 13, 16 says, don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are sacrifices that please God. When you help someone in need, God smiles. He is pleased by that. Proverbs 19 says, those who are gracious to the poor lend to the Lord and the Lord will fully repay them. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it, Proverbs 3 says, when it's in your power to help them. When you have the power to help people, you should do it. You should help them. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, it's as if you're doing it for me. Clearly, God wants us to be engaged in helping other people who have needs. And one thing that strikes me about this last year is how many people got upset at all the social justice, the injustice they perceived, and how few people, it seemed, took steps to actually help the people they were talking about. It's easy to talk about it from behind a keyboard. It's a lot harder to get out there and do something about it. We need to do something about it. And we'll cover that a lot more in the coming weeks here. But let me just leave you with these last couple thoughts for today. First of all, do we have to know the cause or even the ultimate solution in order to start helping people? I think everyone acknowledges that there are people in need in our community. There are people in need in Baldwin and De Pere and and the surrounding areas all around here, all of St. Louis County and St. Louis City. There are people in need. We all acknowledge that. And there are people that have the ability to help them. And we certainly have the ability to help them. But what polarizes people about these issues and also paralyzes them about these issues are these two questions. One, what caused the problem? Is this a problem that's caused by something systemic? Is it caused by some intentional discrimination? Is it caused by some personal choices? Is there some combination of things in there? And so we get hung up on that question. And then the second question, what is the best solution? How are we going to solve this? And all sorts of problem of solutions get proposed. Is it opening the borders? Is it reparations? Is it affirmative action? Is it defunding the police? Is it education reform? Is it anti-racism training? There are all these proposed solutions to these problems and we should absolutely research them carefully and evaluate them and determine which of them are going to help and which of them maybe hurt instead of helping or hurt more than they help. But what hits me about all of this is that while we spend all this time debating the causes of the problems and maybe the ultimate solutions of the problems, there are people in need who are sitting over there and hurting and we can help them. Do we really have to know the cause or even agree on the cause or the ultimate solution to do the things we know that can help people in need? What the Bible tells us to do. This is part of biblical justice. And the last thing I'll leave you with is don't think that you personally have to be involved in everything. I know this is overwhelming. There are so many problems we see in this world. And if we're not careful, we can look at all these problems and we can think to ourselves, I've got to help with this and I've got to help with that and I've got to help with this and all oh, this is crazy and I can't do that over there and I can't do that over there and there's so much stuff, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit at home and watch Netflix. And so we're paralyzed by how many problems are in front of us. And what you have to realize is that God is not calling you brother or sister, daughter or son of Christ. God is not calling you personally to address all of these issues. But he has equipped you to address some of them, maybe one of them. The body of Christ collectively should be addressing all of these issues. And I'm not just talking about from the stage here. This is a weekend worship service. People put too much stock in the weekend worship service thinking that's where we need to say all the things. No, the church is the church. The church needs to go be the body of Christ in every aspect of the community, in every aspect of life. 
And when you go minister and reach out to people, you're being the hands and feet of Christ. You're being an extension of the church, going and helping people downtown or helping people in North County or helping people right across the road. That's the church at work. But you don't have to do it all. God has given different gifts, different abilities, different passions to his children. And so you need to find out what God has designed you to work on. Somebody after the first service who watches online, they RV all over the country. And they said, hey, the message really touched me this morning. God has put it on my heart to reach the homeless people in our, in our parks around the country. And so we're, we're trying to help those people. And that's what we're going to do to help people who are in need. That's awesome. And so that's your thing. That's what God has wired you to do and given you a passion for. Do that and don't feel like you have to do everything else. Together, the body of Christ can do justice in this world on behalf of a God who is just until he ultimately brings justice everywhere. But until he does, let's continue to be his hands and his feet and find the ways he wants us to help those who are in need, even if we don't understand it all, even if we can't agree on all the causes or all the solutions. Let's be active in doing what he's told us to do. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer right now? As we ask God to guide us. Heavenly Father, this is, a, this is a tough thing for us to wrestle through because there are so many side aspects of this that distract us. And we can spend countless hours in research and debate and watching stuff online and trying to figure out what's the truth of all of it and it can overwhelm us. And all you want us to do is get out there and help people in need. God, I pray that we as a church, as a body of Christ, would just repent of our selfishness, of allowing ourselves to be distracted, of arguing about the right thing to do instead of doing right things. And God, I pray that you would help us to to step up and make a difference for people in need in our community like we've never done before. Lord, help us to be people that do justice, that help correct oppression wherever we see it, that help people in need in your name. Bring a little taste of heaven here to earth through your people. You said that we are stewards of your grace, God. Help us to not bottle that up, but to share that with other people, Lord. And we trust in you to guide us and show us how to do it. May we be responsive to that. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, amen. And I'm so excited about this series and how it is gonna push and challenge our congregation and what God is gonna do in us and through us. Adam, thank you for that message, just reminding us about God's heart for justice, calling us to be involved. Well, next we get to take the Lord's Supper together. And so if you're at home watching online, you can pause the service now and gather the the elements to be prepared for that. Let's not miss the connection to God's heart for justice to what we're gonna do right now in this series. As Stephen said earlier in our worship set, justice has been satisfied through what Jesus did on the cross. We get to look back and remember that now in Romans 6, it says the wages of sin is death, and yet Jesus took that penalty for us. How amazing is it that he loved us that much to die for us? And how amazing is it the heart that Jesus welcomes us to this table with? He took our penalty. He died on a cross for us, and yet he welcomes us to take communion not as his debtors, not as his enemies, but as his friends and as his co-workers and the mission to bring God's justice to a broken world. So let's approach communion with that heart 
this morning. We're going to take a few minutes and just quiet our hearts and prepare our hearts for communion. Scripture says we should examine ourselves before we take communion, so there's an opportunity to do that this morning at home or or here. Take a few minutes and just confess whatever you need to before God. Maybe something Adam said in the message was convicting for you, a way that you have uh, failed to enter God's call to do justice. Maybe something God is laying on your heart or a step of obedience he's calling you to take. Take some time to listen to God as we get ready to take communion. Just a few kind of practical notes. Our servers will walk through the aisles in front of you so you don't need to pass the trays. If you haven't done communion with us here before, we do it a little bit differently. You can take two uh, stacks of cups or rather just one stack of cups. The top will be the juice. The bottom will be the bread. You can just reach out and take that from the servers. And then um, we have gluten-free wafers available in the center of the trays if you need that. If you don't regularly attend this church, you're not a member here, but you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to take communion with us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we would encourage you just to let the tray pass you by. No one will judge you or look down on you at all. This is really a communion meal for those who have trusted in Jesus for their salvation. And so if you have not done that yet, that is okay. We would just love to invite you to take steps towards that. We're just so glad that you're here and we celebrate how God is at work in you. And maybe there's a chance now just to reflect on how God is working in your life. Let's pray. Let's take a few moments to quiet our heart and come to God. God of justice, we are we're so thankful, Lord, that you took our place. We deserve death, that you died for us on the cross. God, what, what riches of kindness you have lavished on us as we sang earlier. Our sins are many, but God, your mercy is more. Thank you for that. Help us to come to you now to confess, to be with you, to hear your voice. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen.
how amazing it is that, that we who are unjust can, can be a part of the justice of God, that he loved us that much. First Corinthians 11 says this, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. verse continues in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it let's take the cup together <laughs> 